then I'll give a wave like this just to let you know that that joke is over. I misbehave on stage, but I'm better than when I wasn't sober. Okay, so I've sobered up. There's still some blackouts. And, um, I worked in hymens and survived tornadoes and trailers, but that don't mean I won't put in my two weeks later. Having a good time, baby, having a good time, baby. We're having a real good time. We're having a good time, baby, having a good Okay, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. Uh, sorry that I haven't been uh, keeping up with my podcast as regular. I have been doing a nightly show uh, on my Instagram about, uh, I've been doing live stories. I've been just having other people come on and tell live stories, and it's been a lot of fun. And I'm not going to do it tonight. I'm not going to do it this weekend. I'm going to start this thing again on Monday, Monday, May the 18th, which also just so happens to be my birthday. So I'm going to start it back next week with a whole bunch. I got a whole bunch of people that are committed to doing the storytelling. I think last night's was a good way to end. I think two nights in a row we had really good lineups. Uh, I had Killer Bees join me uh, two nights ago. And last night, Leanne Morgan joined me and uh, Jason Marsden, uh, along with lots, lots of other funny people, David Chastain, Beekov. I mean, the list of people that I've had on here is really unbelievable. It's been a really fun uh, thing, and I'm enjoying it a lot. So I'm going to keep it going. Um, but I am going to take a few days off. So what have I been up to? Well... I've been hanging out at home here. My um, birds are looking great. I'm up to uh, eight birdhouses. I don't know how many birds are living in the houses, but I have eight. I've seen birds go into some houses with straw in their mouth. I got grass growing. In all the places that I planted grass, grass is growing. My yard looks amazing. When I moved here, it didn't look terrible. But it didn't look great. And now it's starting to look good. You know what I mean? Like it, it's not great yet, but it's looking good and it's getting there. And then I've been doing other live streams with people, Zoom calls, you know, the regular thing, the stuff that we do nowadays. And I've really been enjoying it. But with all of that, it's been hard to also turn and go, now I'm going to do um, uh, an Instagram live, or now I'm going to do a podcast. I'm just adjusting my microphone here. This is something I should have done before the podcast started, but so be it. All right, so, and I've thought about taking those stories, recording them, and using them on my podcast, but... Uh, for now, I'd like to keep those separately. I'd like people to tune into the live stream. And I would also like to talk about different things on the podcast. I think the podcast has really taken a different turn. And I like the turn that it's taken. But I, I have not been as able to be as frequent with it as I'd like. Uh, and oftentimes, it's mainly because it's you know it can be hard to just sit here and talk into the microphone. Not that this is some chore. Not that I'm some hero. I'm just saying, sometimes I sit down and I'll talk for a while and I'll go, what What am I even talking about? So I, uh, but what I, uh, you know, I think things are beginning to open up. Uh, there's some hope for shows on the horizon. This and that is happening. Things are happening. And I'm I'm pretty pumped about it. I'm happy to get back into the world. Uh, it's my belief that, uh, you know, I, I, it's it's weirdly being made political that people want to go back to work. And I think that's crazy because I understand people's fears. I understand if you're 
especially if you've been watching a lot of the news, you're sitting at home going, why would anyone want to go out into this? And I get it. But there's also a flip side to where people are like, uh, in general, like either I need money, I got to get to work, or I'm going stir crazy inside. So everybody, you know, I think everybody's feeling the same thing, right? Everybody wants to be safe. Everybody, and it's like, I think if somebody wants to go outside, uh, you say, well, they don't want to be safe because they're trying to go outside. I think everyone wants to be safe, but not everyone can handle staying in their house. I mean, the great thing for me is I, I live a very simple life. I like to get out in the yard. I like to do those sorts of things. I like to dig around. Um, I got a neighbor that I've hung out with a couple of times. Me and him sit on a porch about six feet away from each other. We have cigars and we talk about stuff. Um, he told me, I hung out with him last night. We don't touch each other. We don't share things. He told me, he said, uh, one time he was trying to jumpstart a battery and this is not a man I think of as a, as a dumb person. Um, he seems to be very successful in what he does. And, uh, but he was telling me, and he was laughing at himself as he was telling me this, but he was saying that. He was trying to jumpstart a battery, and I don't know what kind of thing he was doing, what he was using, or if he had ever done this before. But he said he read on there that it said to ground the wire, right? So, you know, if you're jumpstarting a car battery, that means you plug like the black one onto that side, not the red one. And <laughs> But he saw ground the wire. And he said he started digging a hole <laughs> so he could put the wire in the hole, in the ground, so he could ground the wire. And his neighbor at the time was an engineer, and the engineer had a dog that he didn't like. But he liked the engineer just fine, but not the dog. And the dog and the engineer came over, and the engineer was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm grounding the wire. And he's like, oh, no, that's not what you do at all. So he was humiliated by this grounding experience. And then all of a sudden, the engineer's dog takes a poop right on the man's shoe. So humiliation back to back. And what a fun story. So, um, so I mean, there are fun things to do, but I think in general, people are ready to get back out there. You know, it's like, and I am, I'm ready to get back into the world. Like, it really hit me. I went down to a a bird store. I looked up a bird store here in Nashville, and I, I saw on Google that it said open, and I thought, oh, great. So I got in my car. I drove there. It was about 30 minutes. And I get there, I walk inside, the guy goes, oh, you can't be in here, man. He's like, we, we can, we're only allowed to do curbside service. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, these some hard, hardcore birders, if uh, you know what you want at the bird store and can just go pick it up curbside. Because I didn't know. I wanted to browse around at some birdhouses. So I went to the Lowe's and bought, uh, bought a couple of birdhouses. I find it weird that um, certain places are essential and other places are not. Uh, Lowe's being essential and the birdhouse not being. But um, it's all so much. And it's like, at the end of the day, I've enjoyed this. I've had a good time with the break. But I find that the longer this goes on, the lazier I get. And I'm like, I gotta... I mean, at the beginning, I was painting the garage. I, I mean, I planted so much grass around here. I have grown grass from seeds, and it looks amazing. I've watched it while I've been here come to life. I have not left, and I am ready to get on with it. But I'm still having a good time, always having a good time. We're having a good time. We're all having a good time. And so, but one day... We had a windstorm come through, uh, historic winds, winds that they said hadn't, hadn't, hadn't happened like this since like 1972. So 50-year winds. They said they were coming. I didn't believe it. 
I was like, I believed it, but I thought, if it's not a tornado, really, how bad could it be? And this wind came in, and I was like, holy crap. I hid like I was hiding from a tornado. I was like, this is insane. Limbs were all over my yard. I thought the power went out. I was like, oh, no. And then I went for a drive because the power was out, so I wanted to go get some food. And there's trees down everywhere. It was destruction, mayhem out there. And the power didn't come back on for a day and a half. So I was without power. My phone signal's pretty weak here, which I like. I like a weak phone signal. And uh, so I, I just, you know, was like sitting around with my thoughts because I wasn't, couldn't play on my phone and um, the TV didn't work. So I was just hanging and I started thinking and then I started writing. And then the, as I started writing, I started remembering more things. And it made me think about 2004. 2004. In 2003, I moved from Opelika, Alabama to Charleston, South Carolina. Now, in Opelika, up until this point, I graduated high school. I moved into the trailer that I was raised in. When I was about five, when I was about two, my parents got divorced, two or three. They got divorced, and me and my mom and my two sisters, we moved into a two-bedroom trailer, uh, Lot 8, Moore's Trailer Park, in Opelika, Alabama. And I stayed there for until I was 14. So, you know, about 12 years I was there. And, and then we moved out. We moved into a house about a mile from the high school where I would uh, – you know, be from 10th grade through my senior year. And then shortly after that, I bought the trailer that I grew up in. Um, and I was going to move in it, but I was very slow about the moving process. I was very slow about getting in there. And I don't exactly, I'm always a little confused on the timeline But however it is, I I ended up living in the trailer. We'll skip all that other timeline. It's not important to the story. But I was living in the trailer. Now, I had been arrested. I lost my license for nine months. I had unsupervised probation for two years. I had some community service that I had to do, and I had to pay some fines. And so I lived out that time. I lived out that two years inside this trailer. Uh, The first nine months of that, getting rides to and from work. Um, and, you know, working at the office depot, coming home and partying and just having a good time. We had a great time. We used to smoke cigarettes inside the trailer. I, I remember one night we had a bunch of people had both doors open. We're all smoking cigarettes, playing tech and tag, just taking turns on the PlayStation two, just really having the time of our lives. Very simple. Uh, but, a, but a blast. And, you know, we're, you know, I've talked about this, but we would be out in the trailer shooting each other, playing with BB guns you know, standing out in the weeds, getting our legs eat up, building fires. I threw a tire on a fire out there because you could build fires. We weren't inside the city limits. And wow, that will get some attention. You know what I mean? I started, I threw that on there and I was like, wow, that's crazy. And then people started showing up being like, you can't do that. (laughs) And uh, so we put that out. And I drove to Charleston, South Carolina with my friend Joey Tomlinson. We were thinking about moving to Savannah, Georgia, and we love Savannah. We thought, what a great time. What a, what a cool city. And Joey's parents were living in Charleston at the time, so we thought, well, let's go on up to Charleston. Let's check it out. Let's see what's happening. We cruised through Charleston. Joey's dad took us out to Folly Beach, and I walked out on this pier uh, not a pier, just a concrete thing that went out into the water. I don't know what you would call it. And we loved it. We were like, this is where we want to move to. So we moved there. Joey had had a small, like, two-year degree. Uh, I don't mean to trivialize his degree. I had no degree. But he had, like, a two-year degree at, in an x-ray tech. Now, he's gone on to do more schooling, and I think he has a job. And he's probably very rich now. And uh, I mean, I still talk to him, but I don't ask him what his bank account looks like. You know what I mean? But I think he's doing just fine. And his dad got him a job at MUSC, the big hospital there. And I transferred with Office Depot. So I'm, 
I, I was able to sell my trailer. I flipped it. I think that I bought it for $1,000, and I think I sold it for 2500 and I owed my brother-in-law some money for paying some of my lawyer fees. So but between those two things, I took a little money with me. I think I took about 1500 bucks to Charleston. We moved, and my rent drastically changed. I mean, because I owned the trailer, and then my lot rent was $120 a month, and I think I moved, and it went up to something like 425 something that would I would love to have rent for $425 now, but at the time, that was really steep for me. And me and Joey moved up. We moved up in, when was it? August of 2003. I transferred with Office Depot. I was making no friends. Me and Joey was having problems. He invited, he, his girlfriend came to live with us right away. Now, his girlfriend is now his wife. We're all friends. I think they're great. But at the time, I was not fond of them. I was very upset with them for, um, you know, moving. You know, me and Joey were moving to Charleston with this idea and this plan that we were going. You know, it's us. We're a team. We're leaving all our friends. We're leaving all our family. We're going up. We're going to be a team. Now, Joey got mixed up in emotions and a relationship. Who doesn't get that? I get it. I get it now. I don't know that I got it at the time. Don't know that I cared to get it. I was bad because she came up right away and Joey and her began to hang out all the time and it kind of left me out. And even if I was allowed to come along with them, um, that's not what I wanted. I wanted to hang with my buddy. So me and him began to fight and I needed friends. So I took, I looked in the newspaper one day and I saw that there was some improv classes uh, at Theater 99. So I said, I don't know what that is. But yeah, I knew it was comedy. And I was like, I'm going to take that and try to make some friends. So I joined the class. It was a lot of fun. I, I really loved it. It was when Theater 99, if you live in Charleston and are familiar with Theater 99, it was when Theater 99 was on Cumberland Street. There was a bar there called Cumberland's before it moved. Uh, and it was awesome. I mean, it was such a great time. It was a nice little tuck. Not that the Theater 99 now is not great. I mean, it's probably better. But that old Theater 99 was real fun. It was tucked away, and Cumberland's was a cool bar. They had uh, 25-cent beers while you drank, uh, while you watched uh, The Simpsons. I think they had Duff beer. I don't know. I used to drink a lot. And uh, so that was happening, and then so I started taking that class. And one day I was in there, and this guy named Adam stands up. Now, there's about... 10 people in the class and he goes hey this is probably a long shot but my roommate moved away and i got an empty room now and i need a roommate so if anybody's looking for a roommate let me know and so later that you know a couple of days later me and joey get into a huge fight and joey is like basically like listen i know you're upset about this but this is the way it is now and if you don't like it you know you don't have to live here so I remembered what Adam said in class, and I called Adam up, and we worked it out, and I told Joey, I was like, hey, I'm moving out. I'll need you to sign me off the lease, and uh, it was a real moment of realization for him, and then uh, I moved in with Adam, and then me and Adam wrote it out from, I'd say, about October to uh, May of 2004, and in May of 2004, I moved in to downtown Charleston into a building called the Sergeant Jasper. I was 21, about to turn 22. I was Sergeant Jasper was the most amount of money I'd ever paid for a place. It was $615 a month. It was a studio apartment on the ninth floor. My window looked out over the harbor. Like if you're familiar, it would be the bridge that takes you over to James Island, uh, the James Island connector. And I looked out over that and I could see boats and uh, it was just amazing. And I had one big window. I had, you know, it was mainly one room, a bathroom and a closet. And I had a tiny little stove and a refrigerator. And it was the only time and still to this day is the only time that I've ever lived alone. I mean, technically, I lived alone in the trailer, but so many people were coming and going through that place, and various people were living there at various times. I never was truly alone. So this was the only time in my life that I ever lived alone, and I had a nine-month lease, and 615 also included um, 
like all the utilities. So it was a flat rate. So, you know, it was a great deal. I'd love to be, again, I'd love to be paying that right now. So, and that's where I'm at. I moved there and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, a budding alcoholic um, and I have, in late 2003, I started working at Hyman's. Uh, December of 2003, I started working at Hyman's. In um, early May, maybe even at the end of April, I started working for Spectricide. That's the job where I sold pesticides. Now, Hyman's and Spectricide would be the two jobs that I would have throughout my entire time living in Charleston. I was a bellhop for a little while. Uh, I worked at Office Depot when I moved there, and I tried to sell timeshares. But Spectricide and Hyman's were the jobs that I would have. And so now I'm at, I'm at Sergeant Jasper. I'm working both the Spectricide job and the Hyman's job. I've taken one improv class. And in June of 2004, I'm sitting on the front porch. Now, the Sergeant Jasper is a high-rise building, uh, a community-type place. I mean, I got to really know people. There was people that, you know, there was like a public porch that you could set out there and, you know, smoke cigarettes. They probably didn't want people just hanging out there drinking, but that's what we would do. I met a girl there named Cindy, and Cindy was from Boston, and I had never met anyone with a Boston accent. And I, I loved it. I was like, oh, man, I think I was watching um, uh, some dating reality show on uh, TV at the time. I forget what Average Joe was what it was called. And there was a guy there from Boston. He kept saying wicked a lot. And I was like, oh, man. And then I met Cindy. She was moving in about the same day as me. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And we would smoke cigarettes and drink together. We never dated or anything. And then um, there was another guy I met. And I don't remember his name, but he was uh, blonde, curly hair from South Africa. And I had never met a South African guy before, too. And his accent was great. And he, we had talked about comedy a little bit, and he turned me on to Bill Hicks. He was the first time, first person to ever recommend Bill, Bill Hicks to me. I had never heard of him. So the guy burned me a couple of CDs, and one of them was Bill Hicks, Dangerous. And I'm going to play this little bit because this was, um, all right, I'm sorry about that. I don't know how to turn these notifications off. My laptop now dings and rings when people call me, and I don't know how to stop it. But he turned me on to Bill Hicks, and I never heard it, I never heard comedy like this before. So I listened to this, and this was one of my favorite bits right here. Jesus, how much do you smoke a day, dude? Pack and a half, you little puss. Got a little, why don't you just put a dress on and swish around for us? Pack and a half. I smoke a pack and a half. It makes me ill. I go through two lighters a day, dude. Uh, I'm starting. I, I, I love that bit. Feel it. Ah, shit. But I do have this big fear, right? Doing smoking jokes in my act. Okay, so uh, there's more to that, lots more to that, but sorry about the language. Bill Hicks, pretty pretty foul language, but wow, uh, that bit, I always love that bit. How much you smoke a day? Pack and a half, oh, pack and a half. I go through two lighters a day. I love it. And this guy turned me on to Bill Hicks, and then I met another guy named Jonathan. Jonathan and his girlfriend uh, used to always hang out in front of the building, and they would drink uh, small little bottles of cheap wine and... Uh, and hang out and they would talk to me a little bit but eventually but Jonathan and his girlfriend broke up and then me and him became buddies and uh, we smoked you know I remember one time we sat in his apartment which was a bare sad place and we smoked uh, rolled up cigarettes and uh, drank and listened to Radiohead he turned me on to Radiohead I talked to him about it and I bought the album Kid A now I don't know how many Radiohead fans are out there, but I had never. I mean, I I got into Pink Floyd and stuff like that, and I was you know into psychedelic stuff for a while, but I had never really heard anything like like Radiohead and Kid A. This was my favorite one off of that. There's two, but I think this is it. 
no idea that intro was so long and that was tripping me out it's been a while since i listened to radiohead i told my wife one day that i was listening to radiohead and she goes are you okay are you sad and uh, and this was also a good one All right, I'm not going to do the whole one of that, but that was really good. And then, so um, so then Jonathan goes and burns all the rest for me. Kid A was, uh, you know, he, I don't know some of these, but I think pa, uh, Pablo Honey was the first album. He said that album is garbage and it's not even worth listening to. I still never listened to it. But The Benz, OK Computer, uh, Amnesiac, Hail to the Thief. I had all of those. And I had a CD player in my car. I was riding around listening to these all the time. And this was, you know, this is 2004. It's all all coming to life here. And then, so all these things are happening. I'm, I'm, I'm learning how much I can drink. I'm riding a bike to, to Hyman's. I've never rode a bike anywhere before. I never had the ability to ride my bike anywhere. Now I'm cruising through downtown Charleston. I remember one time, I, it was my first time going to a Moe's. I'm in a Moe's. They're like, welcome to Moe's. And then there's pictures on the wall of all these musicians that I, I don't want to say idolized because I definitely didn't, but I enjoyed their music. And, you know, it would be like a Bob Marley one. And then they would kind of blend the musical lyrics with the burrito stuff. And like Bob Marley said, roll your own, you know. And it just was all such an exciting time for me. I used to ride my bike to Moe's all the time. And one day I rode my bike to Moe's. I, I chained my bike to a street sign, and then I went inside, and then I, I sat eating at the window looking back out at the street. I could see my bike, and someone comes up, and they chain their bike to the same sign as mine, and that's fine. That doesn't matter, but then shortly after, they come right back and get their bike, and when they take their bike off, they knock my bike completely to the ground, and then they turn around to walk off. But then I guess their conscience kicked in and they said, you know what, I'm going to go pick the bike up. So they go pick the bike up and then they look up and they see me looking. They have no idea that's my bike. But they look at me, they put their finger over their lips and they go, shh, right? And I'm like, okay, I gave them a wave. I'm like, hey, we're having a good time here. And uh, I, you know, I used to, there was a, a place uh, downtown. And I forget the name of it now. I think it ended up, I don't know what it ended up becoming, but they had a uh, they had a lot of like French sandwiches and then they had a, a TV upstairs and they would show movies. And this was really before the internet was huge. I mean, the internet existed, but I didn't own a computer. I didn't have cable. So I would go up there and watch movies sometimes. I remember watching The Terminal with Tom Hanks up there. And they also had, they had these French sandwich, and I had never heard this particular bread type. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I'm fresh out of Alabama. And this guy goes, I ordered my sandwich. He goes, you want that on a baguette? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and uh, uh, hilarious, hilarious, right? And, um, and I did want it on a baguette. 
But, uh, I mean, so I just, the more I thought about Sergeant Jasper, just the happier it made me. And so we would sit out there and we would drink. And there was a little convenience store, or as I like to call it, a gas station without the gas, uh, that was attached to Sergeant Jasper. And it made me feel like I was in the movie, um, uh, oh, no, what is the movie? Where, where the, Jay and Silent Bob, they're on front of the store, at the Clerks. Uh, it made me think of Clerks. It made me feel like I was in, you know, a Clerks episode going in there. I mean, living in a high-rise building on the corner of downtown Charleston with a convenience store attached, it made me feel like I was living in the big city. Now, I'm not saying that Charleston is not a, a, a big city. I mean, it's not a big city. That's the thing. It's a small city. They got a lot going on. Big city living in a small city. But to me, this was, you know, this might as well have been New York City. And I just loved going in that store, and I would go in there, and I would buy beer and stuff like that. And my friend came to visit me one time, Costa, and we ended up, you know, he was smoking a lot of cigarettes. So just to kind of hang with him because we were drinking and he kept smoking, I ended up buying a Black and Mild. Now, a Black and Mild was something that I really enjoyed back in the day, you know, cruising around Panama City or something like that, puffing on a Black and Mild. It was always a lot of fun. But I hadn't done anything. I had quit smoking, and I hadn't done anything in, in, in about a year or more. And so, I, you know, we're, we're, we're buying Black and Miles. We're smoking. So I used to, you know, from then on, I would sit out there, and I was always so gross about it. I still am gross about things. I think the coronavirus may change some of that. But, you know, I would put my Black and Mild, when I'm done with that, I'd put it in the ashtray, the public ashtray. And then later... I would think, man, I wish I could puff on that black amount. I'd go back down, and if it was still in that ashtray, I'd smoke it, you know? And uh, I'm gross like that. I don't. I don't hide it. And uh, I'm a nicotine fiend sometimes, you know? And so, uh, you know, I just, I just feel like that I learned so much in that time. Living, I mean, it was the beginning of the era for me because in – uh, I moved there in May 2004. In June of 2004, or somewhere somewhere probably in May, uh, my friend John Brennan said to me one day in a bar, he said, hey, you should do stand-up comedy, and you should do that country character that you do. Now, that character at the time was a little bit more me than, than now, because, I, you know, like I say, I was fresh out of the trailer park, but I did put it on. I put on the country accent a little bit because I was like, you know, I don't know. I'm just trying to be funny here. So I was like, I just kind of laughed at John. I was like, yeah, all right, well, you write me some jokes, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell him. And I had no idea that John was the most motivated person I had ever met. He called me up a couple of days later, and he's like, hey, I got some jokes. Why don't you come over here and check them out? So I go over. I like what he's written. We start talking about it. We rewrite them. We change them. We edit them. We don't, neither of us know what we're doing. John's always been very funny, but he's not a stand-up. Neither of us knew what we were doing. John just loves to write. So... But I never would do them. There was not a lot of opportunities. There was no comedy club. Bars weren't really doing comedy. There just wasn't a lot happening. So one day, me and my friend Kevin Kemp, we called him Sleepy. We were sitting out because he looked a little bit like a Sleepy, one of the dwarves. But he was also uh, just in his face. But he was also real high all the time. So his eyes were looked like he was asleep. And me and Kevin are sitting out on the public porch. We're drinking. We're pretty drunk. And we're just, you know, we're having a good time. And John calls me and he goes, hey, man, he's like, they're letting us do some stand up down here. Why don't I want you to come down and try those jokes? And I was like, oh, I can't. I can't. And Kevin was like, do it, man. Do it. Go do it. And I was like, I can't. I was like, and then I was like, I'm too drunk to drive. And Kevin's there. Kevin doesn't have a car. Kevin's drunk, too. And Kevin's like, I'll drive you, meaning in my car. But I was like, all right, all right, I'll do it. So we get in the car and we drive out to James Island. Now, the the bar ended up being called like Stagger Inn. It was like Stag Aaron, but it was supposed to be like Stagger Inn. But it was an Irish pub even at the time, a small Irish pub on James Island. And there was just a few people in there. I was pretty wasted. They had a microphone on the floor. They were doing a little comedy. I think people like Wes Needham, Matt Shellnut, that was some of the crew back then. They were doing comedy out there. And... I got on the microphone, and I barely knew any of these jokes, and I was pretty wasted. But I started telling the jokes, and people laughed. And I was like, oh, man, I can do this. So then a week later, I'm doing comedy at the Music Farm in 
Charleston, downtown Charleston, for Kenny Z. Kenny Z still does comedy. He was on Cosmo Radio for a while, but back in the day, 96 Wave was the radio station. They had Storm and Kenny in the morning. And Kenny would put on a show at the music farm called Comedy Free with Kenny Z. And they would advertise it on the radio, and then it was free for anybody that wanted to come. And Kenny Z was very popular at that time. And then there was a, they had a character on there named Stupid Mike. Stupid Mike, very popular at the time. And I had agreed to do five minutes. And then I think about 350 people showed up to that. Now, that's not un- unbelievable to me now because I've done comedy at the Opry, and that's 4,400 people. I did. I opened for Alabama. I want to say it was like 5,000 people. So, you know, it, it, it would be nothing to me now. But to do my first real comedy show in front of 350 people, now, keep in mind – during this time, I am trying to do stand-up as a character. I'm not trying to be me. I'm trying to be a character of myself. So I have overalls on and no shoes. So I come walking out in front of 350 people, and I'm like, how y'all doing? You know, I'm really trying to lay on this thing. And I'm doing a bunch of jokes that I made up. But it went well enough to where it fired me up. So here I am, the Sergeant Jasper. I'm learning about Bill Hicks. I'm learning about Radiohead. I'm learning about different people's accents. I'm learning about my own alcoholism. And um, the uh, I'm also going to church at the time. I mean, I'm doing them all. I got two jobs. I'm keeping a I'm keeping a church life. I'm keeping I'm hanging with the improv people. I'm doing stand up. I'm moving and shaking for the first time in my life. I'm 21, 22 at this point, and I am getting it done. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling motivated. I'm now a server at Hyman's. I'm doing the Spectreside job during the summer. And uh, this got me fired up. I was like, wow, I'm good at comedy. I'm a comedian now. I mean, I and then my third show. I think my third show I put on uh, with Wes Needham and Matt Shonut, and I think Caleb Usri, I never knew how to say his last name, uh, we did a show together at Bar 145. Now, Bar 145, um, uh, I would do several things in my life at Bar 145, and then they would shut down. It was shut down by the time I left, uh, long before I left. It was Shady Maze at one point, and then it became Bar 145. Like the first Halloween, I went to Shady Maze with Adam, my roommate. And then the next year, I'm doing comedy in that place. And I got to tell you, I felt like a star. Like not only am I in the big city, but I'm also now doing comedy in the big city. And I'm, I'm making friends, and I'm like, look at me. And I, I wrote in a journal that I kept – from that time, the only time really I've ever successfully kept a journal was for this this amount of years. That's why I I, I know so much about it in detail here. Um, but I wrote in there this third show that I had paid my dues, that I somehow, as a comedian, had paid my dues. So that's how quickly you can re- – there was no Facebook back then, so I didn't change my profile to stand-up comedian, but I would have. I mean, I felt like I had taken on the world, and this show was the first one that I put on. I'm doing 15 minutes now. I got people from my work coming. I got friends. I got all kind of people there. I'm doing comedy in my overalls. It went pretty well. I'm feeling on fire. Now, this is – you know, probably six months later, now I've done my third time of comedy and I've already thinking I paid my dues. And then a little while later, I end up doing comedy at a place called the Oasis. The Oasis would be a running theme throughout my time in Charleston. And I was there. I did comedy for a bunch of my Hyman's buddies. Throughout this year of 2004, I'm beginning to make more friends in Hyman's. I didn't have friends in Charleston for about the first six months I lived there. And now I'm starting to get them and I'm starting to get them quick. Because of comedy, and I'm starting to I'm starting to get them quick. I'm losing them because I'm an alcoholic and I black out, but I'm gaining more than I'm losing. Sometimes about half and half, you know. But I'm I'm gaining them, and uh, it's it's picking up steam. It's picking up steam. I had uh, during Sergeant Jasper, I had one of my most embarrassing dating um, dates uh, to date. I mean, I I went out, I met a girl at a bar. I decided to go out with her, but I was very insecure. I did not know what to do. She was very pretty, and I wanted uh, to make that work. 
and I, I, I built it up in my mind. I asked her out, and then I had a week to go. I built it up in my mind. Everything has worked out. My whole future has worked out and planned out. I mean, I can go into a, even to this day, I have to catch myself and stop myself because I can go, I can do a thing one time, and my wife has this same problem. We talked about it the other day. It was one of the most fun conversations I had had with her. We, I talked to her about how I can do one thing one time and suddenly in my mind, if I don't catch myself, I've already imagined this thing to be this thing that's going to take me to the next level. And I, I'm not even trying to get to another level. I really enjoy my life right now. I, I, I want nothing. Um, I'm very satisfied. But yet I, I can let this feeling hit me to where I'm like, ooh, this is what I want to do. This is going to be the thing that catapults me into success. Sorry, I had that button there. I've been wanting to hit it. And, uh, <laughs> but I, I, so I mean, uh, so I had, you know, I had this date with this girl and I was so pumped about it. We went out to eat. We had a little food. I began to drink couple of her friends showed up. They're hanging with us at the club. I'm like, okay. Then the next thing I know, she's talking to another guy. I'm pretty whiskeyed up. I talk some trash to him. Next thing I know, that guy's talking to me. He's going, was she ever like that with me? And then I turn around and this girl that I'm on a date with is has jumped up on this dude that she knows and has her legs wrapped around the dude. And I left her at the bar. Now she was fine. Her friends were there, but I left her. And that would have been fine. But I called her. She didn't answer and I left a message. A drunken, ranting message. I was still very young. And that message did not satisfy me. Boy, was I mad. I called again. This time hoping she wouldn't pick up. I was looking to leave another message. And then I left a third message and even recalling it just to tell into the podcast, something that happened over 16 years ago still makes me uncomfortable. Boy, does it make me uncomfortable, but it's all part of the learning curve. It's all part of the learning curve. I was learning. I was growing. I was becoming a man. And the Sergeant Jasper was helping me. There was a lake right across from the Sergeant Jasper called the Colonial Lake. It was a man-made lake, and around it was a sidewalk, and you could run like a track. I used to run around that to try to keep myself in shape. I had a lot of friends come to visit me. I had some various relationships with women while living there. I had one girl, a girl named Jessica, um, and me and her uh, used to play gin rummy in her in her room. And... And drink. And I had no idea she was attracted to me. And I thought she was very attractive, but I, we were friends. And we would later uh, spend some time together uh, after I moved out of the Sergeant Jasper. But I had no idea. I once yelled at the manager. I, there was a girl that's, that lived in the apartment that I had a crush on. I had a crush on everyone back then. I was a lovesick, lovesick. And I had no idea what to do or what I was doing with anything. And this girl that I really liked, I never would tell her that I liked her. And uh, But one night after we had a party at the Sergeant Jasper, just a, a random party of, you know, you know, it was put on by the Sergeant Jasper. And so I went down there. I brought a couple of friends. I got drunk. We were fired up. We were having a good time. By this point, I had quite a few friends in the apartment complex. And the manager, uh, who I still know, and within the last few years, I've been in contact with him. He's about the only person I even talked to from that time. But he uh, went into the office with the girl that I had a crush on, and I suspected that they were in there making out, and I was not happy about it. So I banged on the door. I was like, and then he comes out. He's like, Dusty, what? What? And I was like, I had to think quick. The improv skills paid off. I said, oh, I locked myself out of my room. <laughs> and uh, so he took me up and let me in. He was a very nice guy. And um, and I became friends with the security guards. A couple of female security guards I became friends with, and one 
one guy. And I would always, what, what happened was I would go out and drink and then I would come home at night and they would just be sitting there in the lobby and I'd just start talking to them. I'd be drunk and I'd just start up friendly conversation and they became my friends. And the one guy, me and him and some of the other people in the apartment complex started hanging out. And he was at a party with us one night inside the Sergeant Jasper in one of the rooms. And uh, he got a call on the company phone and it was a noise complaint about the party that we were all at. So we had to shut that party down. Then he took us on the roof. Uh, he got fired shortly after that. So I, I don't know if it was because of any of those things. And then a couple of the other women, uh, I really think that they were, uh, I, I, I think we were maybe a little too flirty, but I, I, I don't know. I never did anything with these women. And I'm glad because I'm like, it's not a good idea to do things with people that have keys to your apartment. You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't be banging the janitor is what I'm trying to say. And uh, so, you know, during this time, I mean, you know, this is, I mean, I was, it was the early days of Hyman's. It was during, I I first wrecked a bike driving drunk. I used to, I would leave, I would leave um, Hyman's on a Saturday night. And I think I was still food running at the time. So I didn't have a lot of money. So I would get on my bike and I would ride home and then I would stop by this cigar shop. This was called uh, the smoking lamp. And I would stop by and I would just go into there and I would buy a very small, cheap cigar and I would puff it on the bike ride home. Now, I would go down. Now, if you're familiar with Charleston, um, you'll know the streets. But if not, it's just I would go down Meeting Street, which is one of the main streets. But Charleston, especially back then, was a bit of a sleepy town on that side of town. So leaving Hyman's and going south, I'm going more towards residential stuff and away from businesses. So the streets would just be really quiet. And then I would go all the way down to uh, Broad Street, and then I would take a right and I would cruise that all the way up to the Sergeant Jasper. So I would be going under trees, past old, you know, just old school buildings and houses and just cruising. And then in the summertime, it would be hot, but it would be night and cool. And I would just slowly ride while puffing on this cigar. And it was just the time of my life. And then I would get up to the Sergeant Jasper. People would be hanging out there drinking. I'd party with them. And then later on, after I moved to James Island, I moved to Folly Beach after Sergeant Jasper, and I lived there for a year, uh, back with Joey, who I originally moved to Charleston with. And I would go out, I would, I would go to, um, I would work at Hyman's, and then I would go to either Big John's or T-Bones or whatever, and I'd have a few beers. And then I would, on my way home, a lot of times I would stop by the Sergeant Jasper, and if people were hanging out on the porch, I would just stop and hang with them. And it was fun for a while, but I think I got annoying to them after a while because I would always be wasted. Um, but um, let's see what else we got here. Um, I, 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 I took down a lot of notes. Oh, you know, this was an interesting thing, I think. I left Charleston April 1st, 2014, almost exactly one decade after I moved into the Sergeant Jasper. And I just, that's just amazing to me. And I was living downtown at a place called uh, Burns Lane. 27 Burns Lane is where I was at. The building didn't really have a name. And the people who moved into my apartment on Burns Lane were moving there because they were living at the Sergeant Jasper and it was being torn down. Now, I'm not sure if the Sergeant Jasper is torn down now, but if it is, that makes me sad. I get it, but it makes me sad. I mean, it's such a a time in my life. I have some videos that I'd like to put out, but it was just really a, a kind of a, a coming of, of, of age thing for me. I mean, I was learning to make friends. I was learning to... Uh, live on my own. I was learning. I mean, I was now in Charleston, uh, away from everybody I'd ever grown up with, uh, and and now away from my friend that I moved there with. I mean, I was essentially alone, and I was learning to deal with it. I was learning to 
make friends. I mean, I'm hanging around improv people. Now, a lot of the people that I started doing improv with are still my friends to this day. But I had to learn how to be myself instead of trying to be them. I was hanging out with people that were wild. They were constantly on. They were always making jokes. They were always running an improv sketch. It was always just 90 miles an hour. And I thought, well, I it's hard for me to be silly like that. So maybe if I drink more, I can get drunk and silly with them. And it never worked out the way I wanted. But these people were my friends nonetheless. And I embarrassed myself a bunch around them. I blacked out. I, oh, I yelled at people. I tried to fight people. I mean, I'm, I, I can be a maniac. And I, but back then, I mean, I just, I remember once I left a bar, I got on my bike. I was so drunk. Immediately, I turned the handlebars all the way and fell right in the road. And a car laughed at me. And I couldn't help but laugh too. I was like, that is pretty funny. If I saw that, I'd be laughing too. Oh, oh, this is, oh, yes. Okay, this is where I wanted to go. So comedy kept going for me that year of 2004. It kept going. And by by kept going, I mean, I bet I did it, I don't know, uh, five times. Let's see, May, uh, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January, February. Okay, so by the end of the year... Now, the first year I worked, the first month I worked at Hyman's was December 2003. I skipped the Christmas party. I was like, I don't know anybody there. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm just a food runner. I don't want to do it. But by 2004, I was a stand-up. I, I was now a, a comic. I was a, a comedian, and I, ha, I was a server. So I'd been there a year. I knew a lot of people. I still was not the most popular guy there, but I, I knew people. And it was a huge staff. It was not like, so a year at Hyman's was not a big deal. There was people that had worked there many, many years. And I was very insecure. But a lot of Hyman's people came out to my Oasis show, and they loved it. And they talked me into doing comedy at the Christmas party. Um, so I don't think that I changed into the overalls. At least I hope not. And uh, I'm at Bar 145, a place where I've done comedy before, a place where I know the owner slash manager a little bit. I've interacted with him. He has handed me money before. So we get there and we find out that our Christmas party has been double booked. They double booked seafood restaurants. They had Gilligan's and Hyman's there. So everybody's dancing. You know, everybody's having a good time. Everybody is really having a good time. But they decided that they, you know, that it was time for me to do comedy. So. I don't know if they did the awards first or not. It doesn't matter. Uh, I'll tell about the awards after. But I got up there to do stand-up comedy. So they stopped the music. So Gilligan's was having a great time partying, and they stopped the music so that I could do comedy. And I was not good enough at that time, but I did straight-up restaurant jokes. I had so many restaurant jokes written that only restaurant people would get. And it was a blast. And the people from Gilligan's were heckling me, and I said, I don't come to your job and take the blank out of your mouth, right? And, oh, my goodness, did that crush for the Hyman's crowd. I was the most popular guy in town. And we had, I'm pretty sure Hyman's had a program where people that were released from prison could come and work at Hyman's, and we had a tough crew. So when the Gilligan's people started talking trash, I mean, it was about to get rowdy in there. I had made some fans, and eventually they cut cut off the music. They started playing it again. Oh, okay, so I did get the award first. They did awards, ah, server of the year, food runner of the year, and they made up a, an award, best sense of humor, and they gave that award to me. And now I had friends, Bobby, who I'm still friends with, and Mike, who I'm still friends with both of them. We don't talk on a regular basis, but... We were friends. I remember, you know, when Mike came to work at Hyman's and um, Bobby was a server and got moved up. I think he trained me one time and he got moved up to manager. 
And so they were managers at that time. They gave me Best Sense of Humor Award. And then, you know, after my mic got cut and Gilligan's went back to party, it got pretty hostile. Everybody got, got a little upset. I was drunk. I got yelled at by the manager, the guy I thought I was friends with. The guy was like, "Who? he handed me money. Now he's yelling at me. He's like, I don't care. I was like, I've done comedy here before. He's like, I don't care. I don't give a blank. And then, uh, so it was, it was hostile. So I got my award. Now my award is just a picture frame with a certificate inside. It says best sense of humor, Dusty Slay. I bet I still have the award. I save a lot of things. And the bartender, I closed out. I was mad. I was drunk and I closed out. And then I realized he didn't give me my debit card back. And I was like, hey, you got my debit card? And then it made me mad. He didn't really apologize. And so I just wanted to make a point to him. I wanted to make a noise. All I wanted to do was make a noise. And I took that picture frame and I pointed it at him and I slammed it down on the side of the frame and it shattered all over the bar. And I just grabbed my certificate and I headed for the elevator And I got to the elevator, and inside the elevator was the bartender, the bouncer, and Mike. Later, Mike would tell me, I got in that elevator just so they wouldn't beat you up (laughs) on the way down. And I got, I just got, the elevator got down, opened up, I left. I I just walked straight home because I was downtown. That would become a theme for me with Hyman's Christmas parties. I left those parties mad a bunch of times. I mean, they were some rowdy parties. I don't think Hyman's was ever allowed to go to the same place twice. We would have a Christmas party there, and then next year they would say, I don't think so. I don't think so. Later, years later, now, shortly after that, I quit comedy. I mean, I did it a little bit in 05 here and there, but I basically quit. Probably in 06, they talked me into doing it again at the Christmas party, and I was really out of comedy. I was not doing it at all, but I thought, you know what, how hard can it be, right? I'll come out, and there was, I put on the overalls, I started doing it, and and there was a guy, nobody was into it. People quickly turned, were turned off by it, and then one guy was standing up front, and he just kept like mock laughing me, just mocking me. And I was like, oh, gosh, I hate this. And I got off stage, and you you got off stage by going to the back of the stage. So I went to the back of the stage, went out the back door, climbed a six-foot privacy fence into another area where there was another privacy fence to climb, and I got out of there, and I walked home. I was so embarrassed And I didn't do comedy for a while after that. I was just living, partying. Comedy wasn't even on my mind. And I took an acting class. But I just mainly just started drinking and just partying. And just living my life, honestly. Working at Spectreside, working at Hyman's, not even thinking about comedy. People would ask me, do you still do comedy? I go, well, I'm always writing it. You know, I would say that. And that was true, though. I was always writing it down. That's what I tell people. If you're not doing comedy a lot, but you want to do comedy, just keep writing. Always write stuff down. Don't don't not write just because you're not performing, because that stuff will come back to you later, and you'll say, "Wow, I, um, you know, I have all these ideas now because I've been writing things down over the years rather than sitting around in your room going, I wish I had something to, wish I had something to write about.' You'll already have those things." And what is this? Yeah, I like that one. And these are things that I downloaded to to do during the Instagram, but I can't get my soundboard to play on the Instagram, but I have stuff like this. Yeah. Stuff like this. I got all kind of applauses is what I'm saying. And... But I moved out of the Sergeant Jasper in, I guess, February or March of 2005, and I moved to Folly Beach, where I would really tap into the drinking. I mean, that's where it really all began with my friend Mike. Mike came to my, I first hung out with Mike while living at the beach, and wow, what a party that turned out to be. Years, years down the line, and then... um, 
but that's where I wanted to go with that was 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 back to bar one four five, back to that party. Um, and, I mean that Christmas party though that that one except for that ending that was a that was a slam dunk Christmas party. Oh oh, this is what I want to say. This would have had to have been. I mean, this would have had to have been early 2005 when this happened or late 2004, but I can't, I can't imagine I did comedy after this, but I'm just going to, I guess I did though. So I got to return to the music farm. Kenny Z asked me back. He's like, man, you did so good the last time. I'd like to have you back. And he goes, and last time I did five. Oh, I guess it had to just be a couple of months later. And I just, I just worked it through. So he was like, can you do 20? And I was like, yeah, no problem, right? Because who says no? But I was still not being myself. I was still being this character. And within this character, I needed to memorize what I was doing. And I'm sure I've told this story before, but I got about 10 minutes into my 20-minute set. Dead silence. This lady goes, you suck. And I said, thank you and continued to move about my set. I didn't know what to do. And after that, I didn't want to do comedy for a while and would only do it after having a few beers. So yeah, that's what it is. And then I remember I remember watching a video one time. I had a beer, but I didn't have a stool on stage, so I would just set the beer on the ground and pick it. I mean, I was doing comedy in cargo pants and shorts and, I mean, just... Just a joke. I mean, it took me a long time. It was 2012 before I put on I put on some black skinny jeans and a black t-shirt and did comedy and I was like, "Wow, this is this is this is the way it goes. This is the way comedy goes." And, you know, and then that was my that was my journey of Sergeant Jasper. I mean, I feel like there's other things. I I I once met this guy coming through the door. Now I was coming back from happy hour. I was drunk. We used to go to, I already talked about where I used to go for happy hour, but I I got off happy hour, rode my bike home, parked it. As I was coming in the door, another guy was coming out and I was like, I was like, how you doing? He was like, great. How about you? And I said, better than you, right? Like a real jerk, right? I was just drunk, better than you. Later, I saw that guy. I said, hey, the other day, I saw you, and I said, better than you. And I said, I don't know why I said that. I said, I'm sorry about that. And we never were friends, but I, he seemed to appreciate that I apologized. Well, listen, I've had a great time doing this. I didn't play very much music, uh, and I don't know what happened. I intended to. I pulled up Spotify on my computer. I said, I'm going to play a bunch of music. But I just enjoyed talking through all that. And, uh, and you know, maybe I'll play... Uh, a little bit of a uh, Radiohead song that I really loved as uh, as I fade out here and let this go. I probably, yeah, I don't know. I probably won't play the whole thing. I'll just play like a minute of it. But I really loved this song a lot. And it is off the Amnesiac album by Radiohead. Thank you guys for tuning in. We're having a good time. Come on, you think you drive me crazy, well, come on, come on, you had it, I'm in, you and your crony. Come on, come on, Holy Roman Empire. Come on, if you think, come on, if you think, you can take us on. You can take us. Oh uh...